You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. All right, friends, welcome to another episode of Hispanic Wealth Matters. And today is a super exciting day for me because we have two firsts today. We have First, we have uh, two guests on that are good friends of mine, people that I admire very much. Um, but it's also the first time I have actual two guests on the show at the same time. So it's uh, a new thing for us, and um, I think it's going to go great. I'm excited to do it. And today on the show, we have Andres Hoyos and Diana Steele, and they are the founders and owners of Sync Brokerage. Welcome to the show, Andres and Diana. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure and uh, I'm excited. So we start every show the same way and it's by asking what is the origin story? Where do you come from? And given that we have two people, I'm going to kind of coordinate it a, a little bit. And we're going to obviously start with uh, ladies first. So Diana, what is the origin story? Where do you come from? Oh, I think that um, we can make it shorter because Andres and I both come from the same place. <laughs> so he doesn't have a different origin story. You know, he comes, we're both Colombian. We were both born in Bogota, Colombia. Um, we didn't meet there, but we were both born there. So uh, we were both raised um, culturally the same, um, same language, even dialect. That's that's it. I mean, different upbringings for sure, different um, aspects of life, but geographically from the same place. So tell me about that. What do you mean by different upbringings and aspects of life? I know, Andres, you came to the States when you were 17, I believe. Diana, you, did you come at the same time, same age? No, I came here when I was 10. Okay. Yeah, I came here when I was 10, too. So, Oh, look at you guys. <laughs> it makes a huge difference on the accent. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I landed in New York first. So I was in Queens uh, for a while. We came through an amnesty program um, from El Salvador. So my accent, I think like when you're around 10, you start kind of learning what your accent is going to be. And so when I was in New York, it was a lot of like Caribbean accents. Then when we came to, to California, then it was more Mexican, Central American accent. So my accent is all, all over the place. Often people don't, don't hear a Salvadorian accent in my voice. Um, they, they say that. Um, where did you uh, land when you guys uh, came? I guess we'll start with Diana and then go to Andres. LA. Okay. In, in the valley? In, this, in proper LA? K-Town? Where, where were you? No, I was um, in, I mean, LAX, but I, my where I lived was in Castaic, like past Santa Clarita. Mm -hmm. I know it well. And, and you, Andres? Uh, so I came to LA 2001, October 17, 2001, right after, yeah, October, yeah. And uh, when I came, I actually came to my brother's house, North Hills, right on Columbus and Roscoe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. So you're you're a Valley guy right off the bat. I've been a Valley guy. Yeah, me too. So I'm cool with that. Andres, you are uh, the CEO. You were named top 250 Latino leaders by uh, NARC, which is the largest trade organization for Latinos in, in the country, um, just this year. And I know you received many accolades and been interviewed by many publications before. And Diana, you are the chief operation officer now, 20 plus years of leadership experience in healthcare, real estate, entertainment. You've been an executive coach. And what I call you, I don't know if you know this, but what I call you when I talk to people about you, I say you are the secret ingredient to one of the best sauces in the business. Um, and and I, I truly believe that. Uh, and that's when I tell, talk to agents, I say, you know, yeah, Andres is cool, but you got to meet Diana. <laughs> you know. Um, so with that said, tell me, Andres, um, going back to your origin story, just to kind of frame the trajectory um, you told me a story once about selling clothes. Um, oh my god! And yeah. I know. And here's why I'm asking you that because everybody knows you sold pizza, but I want to hear about your selling clothes story. Wow! <laughs> Andres will sell anything. He'll sell you if you allow him to. He, I think he might have. <laughs> I think I owe. I think I owe a few, a few body parts. Um, so, um, you know my. Um, my mom, I, you know, the, the environment of my house, um, I was raised looking at my mom being an entrepreneur. 
Same thing with my dad. Uh, my dad was always a business owner. And so the work ethic, the values and integrity, I got that from my parents. Now, my mom was always in sales. Uh, yeah, she worked for a salary and commission. But, you know, on the side, she always had, you know, the side hustle, right? And so when when I came to U.S. at the age of 17, um, I was working at a restaurant in Robbie Max, making pizza for like six years, uh, working in the kitchen, cleaning tables, you know, doing deliveries, um, you know, working in the register, kind of like doing it all, right? But it got to a point that I was kind of like frustrated a little bit with, you know, not making enough money. And, you know, at a point in my life, I was lost. I was trying to look for an outlet out of the restaurant business. And so I came to meet this guy that used to sell clothes at a swap me, different brands. And so I connected with this guy. He was a wholesaler. And I used to go and buy, you know, jeans and polos and hats. Uh, and I used to get a great deal on all of those items. And I used to come back home and sell it to my own family, friends, uh, including Diana's uh, cousin. And so the funny part is I used to make about probably 300% of my money, which was great. Uh, and I did that for a couple months. And the funny thing is when, when we used to go out to the club, uh, you will look at all of my friends wearing the same all uniform. <laughs> the same was, that, was that like skulls and roses years? Was that like those years? Like and, yeah, Ed Hardy, you Ed know, Hardy, yeah, Ed Hardy, right. <laughs> you know, the Lacoste. And so everyone was kind of like wearing the same outfit. Um, and you know, that was one of my my stories of you know hustling and grinding and you know what happened when your brother found out what the markup was he got pissed <laughs> you know one day he called me he's like hey i i want you know a couple of jeans and a t-shirt and you know whatever and so i was busy working at the restaurant and he wanted it so bad so i'm like well he's my brother whatever i'm gonna share the contact um so when i shared <laughs> contact with him you know he went and actually bought it directly from the source and he found out for example I used to pay, uh, I mean, it was very cheap. I mean, I'm, I'm even embarrassed to say it on, on the call, but I used to pay like $70 for jeans and a t-shirt. And I used to come home and sell it for $150, 210 That's business. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and so my brother, you know, we love clothes. So my brother actually bought a lot of merchandise from me. So when he went to the source and got the same things for like 300% less, when I came home, he was pissed. And when, when my brother, I, I, my dear, a Colombian getting upset is like, he came to my room, he threw the jeans in the bed. He's like, I don't want your shit. Like, <laughs> here you go. And I was like, why are you getting upset? I mean, I'm not doing anything that is illegal. I'm, I'm, it's a business. I go buy it for a price. You're my client. I'm selling it to you for a price. And then he told me, yes, I understand. I'm okay for you to make money, but remember, I'm your brother. You're treating me as a stranger. You're making a lot of money from me. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you're okay, you know, pay, still, you're paying less than going to Nordstrom or whatever. So anyways, he got upset. Uh, he returned the jeans and I was like, whatever, I'm going to wear them then. <laughs> <laughs> um, Diana, I know that, that you guys met very, very young. And I've seen photos of when you guys were younger. And I know that then um, Andres was in the epitome of fitness and muscles that he is today. What, how did that connection start? How did you guys connect and start dating? You want to tell the truth? It wasn't the, it wasn't the epitome of muscles. <laughs> well, no, I saw the photo. He was very thin back then. He was very skinny. That's what I meant. I used to... So my cousin, my cousin David, um, oh, David. he's guy. my... My cousin is like my, he's my first cousin. And when I mean like my first cousin, he's, he's like my brother. Like we were raised together. His mom and my mom are sisters. We, there's periods of time, you know, in our life as we were growing up, there was times where we lived together. There's times. Uh, so he and I, you know, we were very close and I used to have my group of friends and he, he's three years older than me. So he started going out and partying and drinking, obviously having fun before I did, but 
I was like, hey, you know what? My, my, he was the only person that my mom would let me go out. Like if he's going, then that's fine. So, you know, very methodically, I was like, okay, well, well, we both leave the house together. I would drive, but whenever we would get to our destination, he would go his way and I would go my way. Right. <laughs> and, um, that's how I met Andres. Andres was part of my cousin's group of friends and I used to drive them, um, because she left the eye on me, man. I didn't want my my cousin to be driving, you know, drunk. Um, so, and at the time, I was I did I wasn't legally allowed to drink, and I didn't drink because um, I had a brand new car and I was too scared to mess it up and crush it. Um, so that's how I met them. I met them, you know, being. So you guys the, were part of the same circle of friends, and and no, it developed. No, 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 no. We were <laughs> not part of the same circle of friends. Okay. We came to the same places, <laughs> but we did not have the same people in common. I just need to clarify that. It needs to be in the record. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it was two different environments. Let's put it that way. Her okay. environment was more, how, how would you say your environment was that? My environment was wild. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, you have to think of it. You have a teenager who's barely not even, or, you know, who's, who's or, or, or a young man is young I mean you're basically living on your own with a bunch of roommates and your roommates the only thing they do it's party Monday through Sunday so and and they're in a in, in a different you know industry and business in which partying and and it's not it's fine like it, it's just part of the routine that's just part mm -hmm. of the culture where I mean me I'm a, I, at that point I was I was still I was technically a single child because my brother wasn't born until I was 20. So I was a ch I was an only child my entire life, and I was very sheltered, very controlled, very like you know. So my my environment was much much different, and therefore the people that I was surrounded were much different. The only time I would have any freedom to go anywhere would be because my cousin, my mom trusted you know that he would be there, and if I wanted to, if he wanted, if I wanted to go out, you know, she felt comfortable. But if he had not been in the picture, there's no way I would have ever been in a, in I, I a think, party. I think that makes that union even more interesting because you do come from different paths and then, but you end up together. So how, how did that happen? I, I, I think I bring uh, a lot that a lot of this stuff and it's a compliment, as you mentioned, like Diana is the compliment, which does the, re you know, thanks to Diana, that's, that's the reason why I kind of like settle down and I look at things more seriously and I found my own path because I wanted to stay with her. Right. And, and, and I knew that that was what, you know, that's what it takes, you know, to keep her. And at the same time, I think that, that, you know, I bring a lot of the, you know, my family, my open minded to Diana because yeah, it's two different. Uh, I like that. I feel like this is a telenovela in the making. I feel like this is awesome. <laughs> and a Colombian, like a good one, like from Colombia, you know? <laughs> um, oh, so Sync Real Estate Brokerage operates offices in some of the highest end areas of Southern California, as well as some of the higher end areas of Southern Florida. What is the inspiration to build Sync? Where does it come from? As opposed to staying working for a company yourselves? So I first of all, I started in real estate as an accident. Uh, while I was living life, working at the restaurant, partying Monday to Monday, one day I was waiting in a, uh, you know, outside of a club in Glendale for my car. And this guy that was outside, um, I don't know. I didn't know this guy. He came to me and offered me a job at a real estate office. Again, I didn't know what was real estate. I asked him, he told me, you just got to sell homes and you make money. So during this time, I was frustrated working in the restaurant, especially in the kitchen, because I was getting burned. You know, I used to smell like garlic all the time, sweaty hands. I mean, it was horrible. But when I walk into the environment of this office in Montevello, I fell in love with the environment and I fell in love with freedom, mm. not with the money. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with just knowing the fact that I can work my own hours and if I do, you know, work really hard, I can literally put my own income. 
and there is no ceiling. But I fell in love with the with the you know the freedom. So I got in real estate in 2009 as an assistant working for, you know, and, and, and again, just to keep it short, there was a lot of struggle, you know, trying to work at the restaurant and then going in, in the morning and learning, you know, real estate, door knocking in East LA, Compton, because that was the market area where I started. Uh, I remember I, I used to do the swap meet. This is how I actually got to the contact that was selling me the clothes. Uh, I used to do this Swami and Rosecrans. Uh, I believe that's Long Beach, mm-hmm. something like that. So for close to a year, you know, I struggled doing the door knocking, working those market areas based on the mentor that I had during that time. Then I met new mentors right here on Ventura Boulevard, you know, uh, uh, Israelis. And so I started working with them. I was the only Hispanic working on Ventura Boulevard under this team. And thanks to them, they actually taught me the right way of handling the business, you know, working uh, in real estate. And slowly, um, as I was an assistant, I probably, I was an assistant from 2009 to 2011. Um, I was part of maybe, I want to say 60, 70 transactions uh, without my license. Then in 2011, when I finally passed my exam, which by the way, took me five times, then I got my, I passed my exam. I was super excited. I was about to get my license, but there was something holding my license back. And so it was a struggle even to get my license. Finally got the license. I became top producer agent. Um, I kind of, I'm always looking at the big, you know, like people that are doing better than me. What are the things that they're doing that I, you know, I can take and kind of like copy that and it's going to, you know, put me in a, on the right track. So I always been doing that. So um, after I was a top producer agent, Diana, you know, Diana's cousin, David came to me. He was working uh, as a ballet guy, you know, doing ballet parking and I got super busy. Uh, and I needed an assistant. So he was processing my files and I was coaching him. And then he became my buyer's agent. And then I became listing agent. I was on the phone, you know, generating listing appointments, listing appointments. I grew my team to five agents. Uh, and we were actually killing it in real estate. Then in 2014, I saw an opportunity to become an office manager recruiter for the company I was working with. I got tired of being the top producer agent, you know, doing the same, doing the same, always looking for the challenge. And so I became the office manager for this company, uh, recruiter. I did that for about two and a half years. I got exposed to a lot of great things, uh, different concepts, different franchises. I got to understand the, you know, the different perception of the business as a company owner broker, not as an agent. And um, I'm very passionate about what I do. And so in 2016, 2017, I thought that our industry was missing something of value. You know, there is so many companies, right? Uh, With different structures and, and benefits to the agents, but in reality, they still being operated as a business. I thought that we were, you know, we were lacking in our industry, a company that uh, in a very authentic way cares about the agents and and their, you know, well-being. And so in 2017, I decided, and this was a kind of like a wild idea. And I always called Diana as my coach. Uh, We were, I was doing very well as an independent agent making money. Obviously, when you do the transition from being a high producer, you know, being in productivity, and you do the transition into management, recruiting, and now a business owner, it hits you financially. And we went through the roller coaster because obviously my attention went now into building my business and I left productivity. So it impacted us. Whenever I'm making a decision, I always run it by Diana. You know, what is your input? And I remember in 2017, I told her, hey, we only have this dollar amount in the bank account. Uh, I don't know why, but I have this feeling that the right direction was to open my own company, even though I wasn't a broker yet. So I found myself a broker and Diana supported the idea, open your own company. In my mind, when we decided to open Sync, the 
initial idea was if I can stay in business for six months, even if I lose everything, if I can stay in business for six months, I I will feel satisfied because I can check the box of I was a business owner once. (laughs) So we started with maybe, I don't know, maybe $20,000 in the bank account. We opened our own office. Yes, there was a lot of fear, uh, no experience whatsoever on running our own company. We started with no employees. So initially, I was the marketing guy. I was the receptionist. I was the TC. I was still producing. I was recruiting. I was the manager. Like I was doing everything. And I remember Diana at that time. During that time, Diana was working at um, Incorporate, um, VP of Human Resources, West Hills Hospital. Great salary, benefits, stability. Like, you know, she's the only one that kind of like knows what's going on every day. And at nighttime, we used to come to the office and clean the office, right? Because we, we we didn't have a cleaning crew, right? I remember so, you telling me that. That's incredible. Uh, at nighttime, we used to come and clean the office. That's a long day. Yeah. During the weekend with our daughters, we used to come and clean the office, clean the windows, the desk, making sure overall the, the core values of our company from day one, and I always remember this, is I don't care. I want to have a company that we're not worried about money. But I want a happy environment where there is music, where there is, you know, positive vibes, where the agents feel happy and and they have the desire to be at the office. I just want happy people. And that those were the core values then and it's still the core values now. And funny enough that when the agents feel that happiness, they started bringing more agents. Like the agents beca- became my, my recruiters. Right. We started with eight agents, 12, 12 months later, we got to 22 agents. Then Compass came to us uh, and they offered me to buy me out. And I remember driving home to Diana and I was in shock because the dollar amount that you know we were able to get then, it, was, it wasn't bad money for 12 months in business. And I said, wow, if we only have 22 agents, in reality, we don't have anything special uh other than the environment that means that we're doing something right and we are on track so that that was when i actually took it seriously because initially it was kind of like my own shop and i started investing money by the way the company became profitable four months after we opened doors amazing that's really fast one of the things that i understood from day from day one is as long as you keep your overhead low and you push productivity, maintaining those, you know, those margins, um, you know, you'll be able to build a sustainable business. And that was uh, one of the things that I saw with big traditional companies that day to day, they don't have that, right? They're not sustainable. And so all of the money that the company was making, we started reinvesting that money back into systems, technology, website, support. The fact that I was an assistant, I was an agent, allows me to understand the things and the resources that as an agent, I need to make money. And so this company, we've been building it from the perception as an agent. What do I need as an agent from my broker? And so every time we plug in technology or systems, the, you know those are things that the agents need, right? And so uh, second year, 2018, we got to close to like 40 something agents. And then the idea came, okay, we're doing well. You know, we're kind of like building momentum. I, I have, you know, we have this office with 40 agents. We're in Woodland Hills. Why don't we try to open Studio City? And this was an idea that I ran by Diana. And I remember Diana telling me, well, let's just start driving up and down Ventura Boulevard, looking at locations. Just kind of like always put your mind on it, right? I want to take a pause there for a second because I think we're getting to the next phase of of this. But I want to go back to where Diana, you make because you didn't start full time as Andres was telling us. How do you what, what how do you go to making the decision of leaving corporate to come in full time to sync? What did that feel like? What was that process for you? I think that when you are a and I'm speaking now, I'm speaking as a individual, not mm-hmm. as a, a not a, I'm not. I mean, we we carry we have we wear many hats. Um, so as an individual person, each person strives to hit their goals in what they believe is 
the ultimate development of their abilities, right? Um, so for me, I am a nerd. I love school. I always, I studied. I mean, if I, if it was there available, I took advantage of it. So the climbing the corporate ladder for me was almost very easy because I was very tenacious. I was very, um, I have a very, a very strong personality to work in, in industries that are navigated only by men. So I noticed that as a pattern um, here. Yeah. So. I enjoyed that and to me it felt very I, I was very fulfilled in in the things that I was that I accomplished. When a person decides that they have to, I mean, if you just imagine like something that like you're good today, you know, you've been doing something that you're good at for a number of years, and then you out of a sudden need to almost rip yourself of that identity. Yeah. And you kind of start all over again. You're like a baby. Yeah. You're naked without diapers. So I do think that the motivation for why we do things is not the same thing as why we do them. I mean, real estate or in or um, this industry in the in the moment when I was making the decision was not my why. That was I wasn't in, that was not my my goal. I was not thinking, oh, let me become, let me learn as much as I can. I, I, that was not my why. But the motivation for doing it had to do with the fact that I have two daughters that I feel deserve to be um, to start on a different platform. I mean, I'm not I personally I cannot tell you that I have that I had a, a difficult upbringing or anything like that. I mean, I saw I saw struggle. Yes. My mom was a single mom. Like, I mean, I'm not absent of, you know, difficult times, but I didn't feel that my, that it was motivating to do things anymore in a way in which they only benefited and fulfilled me. The motivation was, and now it's, it's a, it's a sacrifice for other people um, mm. because I'm not about to have my daughters um, have to go through any hardship if if I have the health and it's in my hands to do that. So the why was not as was not the same as the motivation. Sure. Obviously things change, but at the time that was that was the that was the call. The call was you kind of have to do what you have to do because it it's the right thing to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's what you want to do because you always dreamed you were going to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you went through a training and, and envisioned a path, and then you you deviated in a way from that path. That's 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 probably one of the sacrifices, one of many, and and this is you know what people don't see is the struggle and the pain behind the scenes, right? And right. for example, like taking it from Diana's perspective, that was one of the sacrifices that she has made. For the company that we have nowadays, uh, mind you, I think that at the moment that Diana decided to leave corporate, I was also running myself very thin, doing it all. Uh, Include I was actually the accounting department, paying the bills and all of it. Like I was doing it all until you know Diana said, "Well, I remember this conversation in the kitchen when Diana said, I'm selling my time to corporate for I love what I do.'" but I'm still an employee and she was making great money there. And it was a tough decision for both of us kind of like walking away from, you know, her income that was complementing our household to come and support my dream. Cause in reality it was my idea, my dream and my vision, cause this is my industry and kind of like, now let me make that also my goal, my vision and my drive. So yeah, it was a transition. I think that those kitchen conversations, um, you're 100% right. People don't aren't aware of it, right? And right now, in the time that we're in, we're recording this in August 2023, where it's a moment in our industry that is very difficult for a lot of people. Um, I think that having opening, being having that vulnerability to share that story is something that a lot of people are going through right now in terms of figuring out, are they going to stay in this industry? Are they not going to stay in this industry? And um, those are very powerful moments as a couple to to have those conversations and make those decisions and make those calls. Um, I'm glad that 
that it plays out well in your story. But I imagine at that time, the uncertainty of the future um, weighed heavy on on you guys. Yeah, and I, and I think that you know it's just and maybe Diana can correct me. It was it wasn't just then. You know, as you are building a business, eventually the bigger it gets, the more demanding it gets, which requires more sacrifices and bigger sacrifices. And I can tell you that I'm glad, I'm blessed that we actually made this decision together because building a company takes a lot. When you have your partner also as your business partner, husband and wife as your business partner, initially it was a concern. You know, I see her at home. Can I work with her also at the office and see her 24-7 essentially, right? And I can tell you that the minute that Diana joined my venture, that's when the company took off because yeah. she brought all of that experience from corporate, the, the, the structure, uh, you know, the operations, she tied up this, the, the operations of the company and that's when the company took off and having that support is like, you know what? It's like, I, now my wife has my back. Let me go outside and, 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 you know, rock it. Yeah. I love it. So another question. Um, so Diana, I really appreciate you telling us that story because I think, like I said, a lot of people face that fork on the road. Now, I call you the secret sauce because in my in my experience in in corporate um, America, having spent so much time there, I highly value what you bring to the table. I want to ask you about a specific thing you talk about. You you say that you should work with courageous authenticity. What is that? So to stay authentic, you have to have courage because most people reject authenticity. You can be the most authentic self. And people will mold you and change you so that you can fit whatever industry, whatever job, whatever role you have to be, or even a relationship. You start being yourself because you need to, you know, meet this whatever requirement. So to be, when I say that, you have to be courageous because you have to have a lot of balls to not change who you are, regardless of the job or the situation or the industry or the relationship so that you can continue to be you. Because a lot of the times, you'll be doing a lot of things, you'll be working, you'll be, you can be busting your ass to do the best, but next thing you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're not the same person anymore. You're not you. Okay, and how does that apply to business? Well, it applies to business because, well, it depends on what business and it, dep it depends on the, the, the goal of the business. I think that, you know, there are people who are completely fine with, you know, changing and being different people and you do evolve. I'm not saying you have to stay the same person. I think we all evolve as people, but you have to have the courage to bring it to your business. So if you, for example, are wiser, better because you've grown, because you've learned, because you've been mentored, because you've got, you gain skills, that's okay. That is who you are, but you have to have courage to apply it to your business so that it actually benefits you and it benefits the people that are depending on you to to keep on growing. You know, I think there is a different different struggle within individuals um, to apply who they are and what they know in business because they there's a disconnection. Yeah, when I read that um, uh, that you wrote that and you talked about that, I internalized it as my experience in wealth management, where, um, you know, I, I, I say this a lot at the show where I said, you know, when I was in retail banking, I was like one of so many Jose's, but then in wealth management in Beverly Hills, I was like the Jose, like there's no other ones. It was just me. And my pedigree isn't what my colleagues was, right? I didn't go to USC. I didn't go to Stanford. I didn't go to Berkeley. I didn't have legacy of family. I didn't have my uncle investing money with me. Like I had to build all that. I didn't have that pedigree. And so I think it comes up a lot with guests. Here, I've interviewed CEOs, I've interviewed CFOs, and this idea of almost imposter syndrome comes to the table a lot, especially amongst our community. For me, once I kind of got fatigued with trying to be somebody that I wasn't or try to assimilate to that, and I started kind of just leading into my stories, 
um, I found a lot more power. So when you say courageous authenticity, I think that to me, that's how it resonated with me. It was that idea that your stories are yours and those have value and those have strength. And if you tell them and then study your ass off and become really good at your trade, then it's going to give you even more power because you can sleep at night knowing that you aren't anybody else. Um, so I want to thank you for those words because they brought up that memory to me again. And um, it's, I think that in that self, and again, this is the sauce guys, this is the secret sauce. Those are the things that are the pivots in our mind that change in golf. They talk about you become good by having micro adjustments. And these are the kind of micro adjustments that tweak you to make you even better and improve at a higher level. I want to add something to it. Please. Um, for the second part, as a business, how do you apply authenticity to your business? Uh, especially in our industry, your industry, you know, our industry, real estate or lending, there is so many lending companies, there is so many real estate companies. And I think that once you decide to go in business, um, you know, you have to be very authentic, you have to be genuine, and you need to def define your core values and what's the vision of that business, right? And because every company has their own identity. And if you look at the any industry, there is a lot of companies that they copy and paste other companies with a different name, offering the same services. Mm -hmm. They're not really authentic. They're doing mm -hmm. the same with a different color, different name, but following somebody else's path, uh, right? But that also applies as a business. It is okay to go the left, meanwhile, everyone is going right, and it is okay to design and kind of like rebuild an industry and do it your own way, even though initially you might think this is the wrong way to do it, but you never know. It becomes part of your you know, authenticity to do things different yeah. and that applies to business. And you have to stay true to yourself and your core values of the company. And we actually, you know, with Diana, we, we started this and we constantly go back to what were the core values of sync day one? Let's keep those and apply them every day, even if we continue growing, maintaining the authenticity of our business. Well, you know, I can tell you that um, having heard the story of the inspiration and what you wanted the company to be, seeing it now where it's at today and having experience through your events or through your agents, I can say that you guys are doing a great job in keeping that spirit alive. Um, and I would agree that you do you do separate yourselves by doing that. Andres, you have been called many times a visionary in this industry. Do you agree with that? I was going to say, I was going to, I, I thought you were going to say you've been called many names. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we all have. <laughs> but um, no, you've been called a visionary in this industry by a few people. Do you agree with that statement? You know what's funny? When I found this sink, Underneath my title, I put visionary. I'm gonna take that as a yes. <laughs> and, and until Diana told me, like, get rid of it. Until I, so I got rid of it. I, I I agree with her. We need Diana in our lives. <laughs> uh, we need Diana in our life. Um, I do see myself as a visionary, a dreamer, but also visionary. I I dream about things. I then study the industry and find a way to get to that dream, which becomes a vision. Then I go to my Diana and I ask her, okay, this is the vision. You know, I go back to her with the vision and, you know, she helps me put in the structure together and then we execute. Yeah. No, I love that. Have you two answered it independently, found it difficult to be a Latino business owner? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How? It's painful every single day. It, it's also a common common topic in this show. But how? For like a few bullet points from your perspective. Beverly Hills. Very hard. I don't. So here's the thing. My experience. So I grew up. I mean, I came when I was ten. I was very privileged in the sense, like I had a private tutor. I had someone that went to school with me. I learned English perfectly. It's six months reading, writing. Um, I was privileged that I grew up in a neighborhood where it was very safe. It was very calm. So my upbringing, it was very exposed to, you know, the the, the white community, the Caucasian community. You're talking about Cascade. 
there at a time when I was growing up, there was mountains. Mm-hmm. There was the industrial centers didn't even exist. I mean, so I have seen I have been exposed to a, 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 a culture that I can tell you today at 37 years old, even though we have evolved and there's buildings and there's school and there's education and we're talking about inclusiveness and diversity and all the words and terms that you want to think about it, people have a hard time with the concept of a Latino business owner Mm -hmm. unless you're a Latino that comes with some history or some legacy of money behind your back. Mm, If you are are a wealthy Latino, meaning that you have generational wealth, you know, coming down your pipeline, it's a no brainer. People expect that from you. They don't even look twice. But if you are a Latino who is trying to um, create different opportunities, different different um, avenues, different platforms, even just a different way of thinking and and communicating, you're casted out. And I'm not talking about casted out negatively all the time, but you are very in your own category because Latinos themselves will push you out Mm -hmm. because they don't agree with the methods that you the non-traditional methods, right? Partly because we are raised that way. We are raised to, in our countries, um, stay in your lane, do your job, don't raise the waters, don't make anyone not like you, et cetera, et cetera. And then on the other hand, then you have all the other ethnicities and all the other you know, melting pot, at least in LA, that look at you going, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, almost as if, you know, it's not, um, as almost as if you needed permission to enter a space that some of them have dominated for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy being Latino doing it, and it's not easy being young doing it. I mm-hmm. mean, the faces, I, I mean, I can tell you, I read people's faces, and when, I, when we walk in the room, sometimes people just look at, us, they look at each other, they look at us, and it's like, I mean, I could almost spell out what's coming through their brain mm-hmm. um, because they have they are so bad at you know um, at having a poker face. Yeah, we have a lot of stories. Like I have stories of people asking me, you know, where the ma- the money came from, if our families were wealthy, you know, to build a company and 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 you know take it to this level. And no, it's just being or, or in right. that or in the absence of information, they make shit up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't we've got people that that even openly express that they have interest in sync, but they've never had interest in sync and are nowhere to be found. But somehow, they do, <laughs> and we're like, okay, if yeah. that loads your boat, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was um, in the process of opening an office in Beverly Hills, and uh, a lot of people, you know. You know, I, I think that number one, as our culture as Latinos, we need to rewire ourselves. You need to erase all the BS that our parents put in our brain as they were raising us, because, you know, for, for the most part, 80 percent of all of that stuff, it doesn't apply in business. It doesn't apply to the culture and the times that we're living. So you need to kind of like re-edu- re-educate yourself Um and then I remember in uh, Beverly Hills when we were actually applying to lease an office, uh, many places reject our applications. And there was one location specifically that I sent the application, tax returns, proof of funds, credit, the whole thing. Three months going back and forth, back and forth. Landlord continue asking for more documentation, documentation to the point that honestly, I sent him everything like I was applying to purchase the building. And we never got an answer until one day I said, you know what? I just needed a straightforward answer. And he clearly told me, we just don't want outsiders. Oh, wow. Especially like, you know, I mean, basically you're not either Israeli, Persian or Russian that we know or or Asian that by default, we know they're bringing money. Mm -hmm. You're Colombian. 
you, you, I mean, you know, they, we have no legacy as Diana mentioned. So it was challenging, uh, but here's where it comes, you know, it boils down to persistence, how bad you want it and how bad you want to prove everybody wrong. Right. And so, yeah, it, it's, it, it want to prove anybody wrong. I'm just going to, oh, but you know, <laughs> and it's just, a, I love challenges. And if you tell me you're not capable of doing this, Believe me, that's the first thing I'm going to go and try to do. And yeah. I love that. And, and a lot of people came to us saying, you won't be able to sustain it. You won't be able to open it. You won't be, you're going to shut down. You're going to, you know, file. So they, they came and they're like, they're going to shut you down. Yeah. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And here's the thing, like, and that is where you, if you look at, I mean, and I don't want to get into political stuff. If you look at every single Latino country, and they and what they have voted as their leaders just from centuries this is coming just centuries old that we are wired our our grandparents are everybody's been wired to instill fear and then because of that fear people make decisions that impact their entire life and generations after so when we talk about, you know, I'm not talking about proving people wrong. I'm really talking about creating your, like your own legacy without necessarily having to, you know, like removing that fear. That's what, that's all that are, I mean, and it's not, I'm not talking shit. I'm, I mean, it's not, it's, it's the reality of things. I mean, we've talked about, you know, more than 20 years ago, half of Central and South America were independent, you know, democratic countries. And now they're all socialists. I think I can, you know, so I can appreciate um, that that sentiment and breaking through. I've been working in in Century City, Beverly Hills for 16 years now. So it's been a long, it's a, it's a learning to know how to navigate. But I can also say and attest to the audience that I've seen a lot of other shops shut down and Sink Beverly Hills is still standing. So in, in a very difficult market. So I would say you're definitely uh, blazing that trail and continue to go forward. Answer the following also independently. Let's start with Andres. What is wealth? Wealth is being rich in every single area of your life. That is the definition of wealth. I think that I've been blessed and grateful to be around very, very wealthy people around me. That even though there is money, they're very unhappy. Mm -hmm. Which means that, which means and proves that money is not everything. Potentially could help you buying almost everything, but internally you will still empty and not happy and incomplete. Uh, well, to me, I define it as being happy, first of all, with myself, having inner peace, having, you know, happiness, uh, having my family next to me, my wife, my daughters, healthy, uh, being able to go home and feel that kind of like temple, my temple, Okay. Um, being able to see. And everything. you said that to me before. You said to yeah. me, or we are very guarded of our home because this is my temple. This is my place. It's our temple. We don't want people to come and go. We are very selective with who we invite to our home. It's our temple. That's where we go, rest. Uh, recharge and, you know, our privacy. And so wealth for me is, you know, being able to experience a level of success, happiness and accomplishment in every single area of my life, whether it is family, business, spiritually, personal, family wise. Uh, and at the same time, being able being able to spread it out and, and you know, help other people changing their life, you know, through our journey. I mean, you know, the, the, the way I see it all the time is we're all going to die. And I mentioned this in almost every meeting. We're all going to die. That's how right? the story ends. And That's and, the last chapter. You die. And, and, and the funny part is this. We don't know when. It might be tomorrow. It might be in 50 years. Right? Right now we're having this conversation. But one day I'm going to be gone. Diana's going to be gone. You're going to be gone. So why, you know, hustling, grinding, and, and living you know, a lifestyle just chasing money when in reality, we're not taking anything. Why don't we focus more on, yeah, let's build wealth, but use that wealth or money to help others, to do great things in this life, to inspire others, to, 
live life, create memories, travel, take care of your family, be a great dad, try to do, you know, become the best husband, brother, son, whatever, like spread it out, spend it, obviously, in a good way. But at the end, when when it comes down to the point of you're in bed, right, and it's time to go, do you have any regrets or you're satisfied with the life that you live? Mm-hmm. And I want to be at the point that I have no regrets and I was fully satisfied because the way I live my life. Mm-hmm. I think that's wealth. That's great. Diana, what is wealth? Honestly, the people that I love are alive. I, I, that's to me, the, I, that's me. My mom is alive. Everyone that I love, it's alive. My grandmas, my aunts, my daughters, my husband. Like the, everyone who I think that would cause me deep pain to lose is still here. So right now, to me, that's well. I do, I, um, I'm not such a, I'm not a very literal person. I mean, that's the answer. To me, the answer is depending on what I'm living in in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, if you had asked me what wealth was 12 years ago, my answer would have been much different. Um, but I think right now, I think that that is that is the only thing that I grab that I grab onto when I need to remind. Remember, I told you your why and your motivation are not yeah. the same. Like I I I need to do certain things because because my why is I got to get this done. We got to get this done. We have these goals, right? But the motivation is different. So when I I feel wealthy when I look at other people and like Andres said, they may have all the money in the world, but they are so unhappy and such, they're such bad humans that they're so lonely because the only reason people are around them is because of what they provide, not what, who they are. I, they, some people, they want to get up in the morning and have a conversation and call their mom and they can't like, they can't pick up the phone and have a conversation and say, hey, this is what's happening to me. And to hear the words that only someone that had you in their being can tell you, that it is priceless. Some people have lost their children. And whether they, like, I, I don't even think how you can recover from that, but I don't know that there's any way that you can wake up every day and not look at their faces or not miss their faces and their energy and their being, right? Um, so in this case, again, I have I have my partner that I have that we've chosen each other. So I go to sleep and he's right there. And when I open my eyes, he's right there. I mean, he may be at the gym, but I know he's coming right back. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that that well to me is um, it's not always going to be there. And if you if we talk again in twenty years, obviously my answer is going to be different. But right now, that's wealth. I love that. I love that. And I think in that answer, you guys really show the way you complement each other. And I think that that I've known you to be a fierce mother in the way that you love your daughters and the way that you teach your daughters and the way that you're raising them. So I think that this is this is awesome. I love that that message. Um, we're going to wrap up with just one more question and then, uh, I'll let you guys, um, you know, tell people how they can reach you if they need to reach you. Uh, but I was, you know, a, a lot of my conversations lately have been revolved around the fear of artificial intelligence. Sync is a technology driven company. Where do you guys, what do you guys feel? about the new advances and introductions of artificial intelligence intelligence in what pertains to your business. I I'm loving this cycle. We're embracing it. We're actually very I mean we're implementing it already. Anything that has to be with technology, I mean with with Diana, we we're constantly reading, exposing ourselves to new ways of making things and processes easier for our agents to generate business, manage and grow their business. And, you know, essentially for the company, we are embracing it. We're loving it and we're making it part. I mean, we're using AI right now. I think that as long as you understand what AI is capable of doing 
And as long as you're using it with the right purpose, it could be an asset to your business and your life, just like everything else, right? Um, that's my opinion. I think that opportunity, it's going to be a lot easier for people to become who they want to become and to grow and put themselves at a different status with, you know, whether it's an independent entrepreneur or a company. I don't know, Diana, your opinion. I, I, I agree with you. And I'm really curious to hear that because I think you and I kind of share similarities in the way that we look at instruments and tools. But I talk to a lot of people that are terribly afraid of it. So Diana, from the human perspective of it, what do you think uh, happens, especially in real estate, especially with this fear of you're going to be replaced by AI? What do you what do you think is going to happen? I think you've just, I mean, you said it. Number one, the fear. And number two, you are going to get replaced unless you do something else that AI can't do. It's like when the internet was created and computers were created, and yeah. then out of a sudden, you didn't need 50 people to process X, Y, and Z. It's the same reason why evolution. Okay, so if you look at the generations of, of you know, we, before we used to be in a manufacturing era, then we went into the information era, and then now we're in the AI era. Well, every 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 of time is going to have its casualties, mm, and I if love that. you are not with this with the times. And I'm not talking about you know, oh, I got to become an expert. No, what you have to become is indispensable in some way. In some way that AI is only a compliment to you and not a threat. But if you are, the only people who are threatened by AI are the people that have been fighting the changes for so long and they have gone away with still staying in business for whatever miracle reason. And now- <laughs> I know a lot of those people, yeah. But this is the breaking point. Yeah. This is the breaking point where you are, it's like you have, been, you know, when you, you play that, 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 the arm wrestling game, mm -hmm. you've been going like this for years. Oh, I do social media. No, I don't. Oh, I do Google, but I don't. Oh, I have a website, but like all these things that are, that are, that seemed optional and that seemed like, oh, well, I don't need to be an expert at this and that because I still pick up the phone and I get business. Yeah. We are at a breaking point. It is now we have exhausted all avenues and we are at a point where like you are when you said like, that's why when you were speaking, I was like, you just answer your own question. If you are fearful of being replaced is because you are replaceable. Mm, yeah. Perfect. That's a great, that's a great note to end because I think that that's a great message to deliver. Andres, tell the people how they can get a hold of you. Any agents that are listening to this, this is going to go out nationwide. You know, it's going to be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everything. And of course, on the Mission Matters Network as well. Uh, how can they get a hold of you if they want to have any questions for you? How do they reach you or Diana if they have anything that they want to chat with you about? Well, first of all, you guys, uh, I encourage everyone to go and visit our website, simbrokerage.com, first of all. So that way you guys get to know us. Uh, we are not your traditional real estate company. Uh, we have offices in uh, LA and we have offices in Miami. Uh, simbrokerage.com is our website. Um, you can email me at Andres, without the A at the end, Andres at simbrokerage.com. My uh, handle for IG is Andres Ojos2027, living in the future. We have pretty much every single social media platform, including TikTok. Yeah, we have <laughs> threads, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, all of them by Sim Brokerage. And well, Diana, your info. I, I would love to give my personal number if you guys want to call me, but just Google my name and you guys will find it. Think, I don't know, IG is the place, Diana, at Diana Steel Consulting. There's awesome. <laughs> no, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. Guys, we've had a tremendous story today. We had the chance and privilege to listen to two entrepreneurs that are young, that are making waves, that, in my opinion, are complete visionaries. 
and a complete complement to each other. And I highly encourage you that if you're an agent looking to maybe move or looking just to learn more, you connect with Sync, connect with Andres, connect with Diana, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.